everybody. Welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. Ahoy hoy, I'm Kylie. <laughs> and on today's episode, we talk about part one of contemporary black and white films. We're a little bit off on our weeks, but that's okay. Yeah, it's May okay. Has... I, I apologize. This is my bad. I truthfully got, like, we've been, our show has been ramping up, and so I did not get to watch the movies until this week. <laughs> this this week yep this week <laughs> and if you go to my letterbox you may realize that this week maybe within the last three days well i could tell you were watching nebraska yesterday because you were like hey nebraska's kind of fun <laughs> oh spoilers nebraska oh, yeah. one of them well it's okay on this episode they'll know that they'll already know the title of two of them that is true because that's what i do it's true it's good it's, it's how we get listeners you know by being like we talk about the contemporary films that are hip and with it uh, i don't think we do that with i don't think we do no, i don't think no. any of these films are hip and with it <sighs> i think what they i think they're hip and with it with the critical acclaim and Weirdly enough, I think the one that maybe is the most hip and with it is probably Cold War. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> well, friends, uh, just so you know, so we're not t- tiptoeing around it, the four films that we have chosen to talk about this month, uh, we'll do two this episode and two next episode, are uh, Good Night and Good Luck, Nebraska, Cold War, and Embrace of the Serpent. Um... Okay, why this topic? I don't know if we have a real reason of why this topic other than we wanted to. Because I'm brilliant and I picked this topic because yeah. um, I, it's kind of a trap. <laughs> because, so here, here was one of my reasonings. Okay, so one of them was like, Josh likes black and white films. So great, got, his, got that one. My second thing, and it was a much more sneakier thing, is I could I knew at least I could sneak in one international film because contemporary black and white films are more popular internationally, I feel, than with American cinema. There is some American cinema that does do black and white films. Um, however, like there was one on my mind in particular that I knew like I can force Josh to watch this. <laughs> that's what this is all about excellent i mean it's good i like the broadening of the horizons i love it the other thing is i'm trying to watch the george clooney movies and after the first one i'm just i'm a little struggling to get back up that hill i'm gonna let you know i think you've seen the best one what a shame clooney as much as an artist i enjoy not the strongest director in the world oh my gosh we're gonna we have to argue so much about this film (laughs) yeah sorry we're we're gonna start with it too (laughs) because it's the oldest one (laughs) it's the oldest i picked Um, the oldest film what i picked the oldest film which last time you picked the older films look at you look at you mine are mine are in the middle mine are in the middle you definitely would have picked this one 
Yes. No, you 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 have the ending one, and I have the beginning one. Oh yeah. So Sorry. we're gonna we'll go back and forth. Um, I think you would have picked this one. However, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I, I would have definitely picked Good Night, Good Luck, just because um, it is a movie that I was wanting to revisit um, since I hadn't seen it since it since it came out. But yeah. Um, before we jump too much into the movies, I did want to talk a little bit. I thought a good kind of table setter thing what would be. Um, to talk a little bit about black and white movies in a contemporary format. And I liked your thesis that you stated the other day as a jumping off point. They're not fun. <laughs> <laughs> They're not fun. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting statement because outside of a couple examples, um, which I think do more to like prove the rule than anything else, um I think I agree with you is the why artists use the black and white medium is I don't think for fun purposes <laughs> you know I mean like sometimes it's because you're in Disneyland and you're secretly <laughs> shooting a film and it's just the lighting's easier to do it in black and white uh -huh. I mean that's the main reason why people use black and white still god that film is awful Escape from Tomorrow is awful like um, <laughs> setting aside filmed in Disneyland, just like awful plot, awful. I need to look something up before I make this statement. Okay. Because I think there's a there's a fact that I have in my brain and I don't know if it's true. Okay, it definitely wasn't true. So I'm glad okay. I didn't say anything. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> All right, let's just continue. Um, I do think that it does kind of bring me to the question of why do directors use black and white as a choice? Because at this point, it is more often than not a choice. It is unlike in like, say, the 90s, where like you had directors like Richard Linklater and Kevin Smith doing their first features in black and white because it was cheaper. That's not true anymore. Um, it's all digital film, so it, you, it's literally just a choice to do it at this point. Um, and so I found myself, whenever I watch a black and white film, um, wondering why. What is the what? Are, what is the director and then the team that making this film trying to communicate to the audience through the black and white medium? Um, is it just to pay homage to the classic films of the past? Are they trying to say something with it? Are they trying to set a period, like a time period? Yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of what is their reason why? So I think as we talk through each of these films, that's definitely like a little chunk of like why I think they're doing it and stuff like that. But um, I do think that for the most part, one of the reasons it's done is to set a little bit of a, I mean, it just feels like it sets a remove between the, the story and the audience. You know, you're able to create this sense of whether you want it to be like it's from the past or you want it to seem like it's a story or whatever it is. Like by putting it there, you're already putting this level of artificiality on top of it because the world is not black and white. And usually the stories that are told are like not black and white either. So I think that it's it's an interesting it's an interesting tool to now use in a filmmaker's um, kind of tool bag. 
The other quick note that I wanted to say before we jump into the movies themselves was um, why we picked the four that we did. Um, because I think that there are, um, I think that there are probably other more well-known black and white choices than what we picked. However, one, we limited ourselves to post 2000. We figured 21 years of cinema is contemporary enough. Uh, um, and then uh, two, we have already had conversations about Roma and Francis Ha, which I certainly, one of those films I would have at least picked. Uh, there's a Coen Brothers film, which we've talked about, The Man Who Wasn't There. The Lighthouse. Um, and The Lighthouse, which we've already, I think, I think we did a whole episode on The Lighthouse as well. So, yeah. Um, the Lighthouse may be the most fun black and white film that there is. Nope. Contemporary black and white no, film. No, Josh, no. What? No? Not fun? No? I, no. I don't. No. <laughs> no that film is terrifying. Um, is is Mank? Is Mank the most fun? I'm surprised you didn't pick Mank because you're such a Fincher fan. I didn't want to talk about Mank. Mank is dull. <laughs> it is not poorly made, but it is dull. All right. All right. So let's start. Good night and good luck. Good night, comma, and good luck. I paused so you don't. (laughs) Also, that comma probably shouldn't be there. Yeah, but it is. Like, (laughs) for some reason, it is. Yeah, because I don't think people understand how grammar works. No, no, not at all. And I think that would make Edward R. Murrow a little sad. Seems like a very formal gentleman. Um, that's the main character, right? That is the main character, yeah. He's like a robot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so good night and good luck. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is Kylie's pick in there. Do you want to set up a little bit of the, set up the movie a little bit? So the Red Scare's happening and... It's uh, the communist witch hunt, and uh, McCarthy. We're following a TV, a TV <laughs> report. Like a, it's essentially like a news show. Um, we're uh, and we're following this into the entire news uh, broadcast as they're kind of like going through to kind of call out um, crap on McCarthy, McCartney, McCarthy, McCarthy, McCarthy. Um, so they're just calling crap on McCarthy and all of his like things. And um, there's some other characters who are hanging, <laughs> hanging out. I watched this three weeks ago. So it really sticks in your brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, a, it's essentially just like a news media um, bringing down the corruptness in the government and the Senate uh, dealing with um, the Red Scare you get some interviews with specific people who are like hanging out. They're not hanging out, but you see actual footage from real trials. Um, uh, There's a lot of actual footage of McCarthy and Ike um, in uh, kind of sewn throughout this film. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's, it's exploring this news broadcast system, like trying to tell the American audience like, hey, what's happening is wrong and here's why yeah um great excellent the only additional thing that i will say is just a little bit of context to 
the based on a true story of Edward R. Morrow, who is kind of held up as one of the like uh, journalistic uh, legends uh, in radio and television news. Um, there is the Edward R. Morrow Foundation, which gives out um, awards each year for investigative journalism in broadcast, radio, and television. Um, and their whole kind of thing is kind of about is what, what he was about was integrity in journalism. And so I think that that is just, that's a thing that frames this story. Um, and I think that it coming out in 2005, um, I Very think interesting that, and poignant and yes, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it feels like it has a purpose as opposed mm-hmm. to, uh, Cooney's other film. <laughs> I, I would say that I agree with that, is that um, it does have its purpose, and, it, and Clooney is trying and wanting to say something here um, that was, I think, important and poignant and relevant in 2005 and in 2021. I think that it is something that that I think for me, why I actually still really like this movie is because, because Clooney has something to say and because the screenwriters and the teams that are there, um, that the film works in future context as well. Uh, she gave this four and a half stars on Letterboxd. I did give it four and a half stars. I and I was perplexed. <laughs> okay. So uh, do you do you want to give the positives of why? And then I'll- Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, so what I really liked about this film was, um, one, I think that Clooney as a director, we've only said his last name, George Clooney, just in case you are not aware of who we're talking about. Doesn't matter. Um, we don't, he's- Arguably, arguably, either the worst or the second worst Batman. He, we don't need to say his name. <laughs> oh, okay, great, fair enough. Um, Bruce Wayne, director of Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, <laughs> I think he assembles a team of actors that are willing and able to carry the dialogue of this movie. There is a lot of dialogue, which would make sense for it being a movie that is about a news reporter. And there are going to be long chunks about the news and him reading it and then going over it. I think what I enjoy about this film is that it takes something that is inherently kind of mundane to watch people sitting in a room, talking, writing things down, and then... Um, going to say them into a microphone or into a camera, none of that is inherently active. And for me, the film had this kind of um, energy to it and this pace that kept me kind of clicking through the whole thing. To compare it a little bit to um, the all the all the presidents men, right? The Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman news drama that we watched earlier. Um, it's not quite that. 
It doesn't move at that brisk pace. And I don't think that it, it the story is as big as what that one wants to tell, but I do think that it has some similar qualities to it in trying to give the characters in the film the sense of motivation, drive, and purpose. I think that for me, why I still hook into this movie quite a bit um, outside of the main performance, because I think the main performance is probably the thing that hooks me the most from David Swissaren, um, is the fact that the story they're telling is about people learning to actually listen to what people are saying or not doing that. Um, and it is this idea that the, which is kind of an idea that is false now in some ways, but this idea that like the moralistic reporters and the immoral politicians, and I don't think that it's gray and black and white, as this film wants to make it out to be, but this idea of challenging your leaders and challenging the politicians there through actual integristic journalism, I think is an interesting concept to dig into and look at. Um, kind of going back to all the president's men, one of the reasons, I, I think one of the biggest differences between the two films is that good night and good luck, um, acts as like purely a drama while with all the president's men it's almost like a mystery like it's almost framed as like a mystery and like they're going into like the dark parking lot and they're talking to the uh to deep throat and like there's like a sense of there's a sense of actual like danger in all the president's men while with good night and good luck it's much more it, it doesn't really have the elements of mystery because mm -hmm. it's very it's very cut and dry of what they're what they're looking at <clears throat> yeah yeah all the president's men definitely really wants you to be with these reporters experiencing and figuring out what they're figuring out with them and this is a message movie it is a movie that has a message and it wants to preach it at you for its runtime and your mileage will certainly vary on that. Yes, as it did with me. Yeah. Um, as I was watching this film, as I was watching this film, I kind of like, I really, I under, I like, I, I like that it has the message and the moral and I agree it's an important message and moral to have. Um, but as I was watching it, it felt kind of more like a video that you would show like in a high school history class um, mm -hmm. because like it's focused on it's focused on the facts and of telling this um, very clear story and meaning and purpose um, but like the characters I didn't find all that um, I wasn't I, I wasn't ever like connecting with the characters like I can look at the our main character and I can think what an honorable and noble guy um however there was always just a distance between um me and him um and just like with a lot of the other characters a lot of them kind of I don't like I tend to just like dislike a lot of them actually but there 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 wasn't in like a a movie sense there wasn't like something that i was rooting for i mean like i was rooting for like hey let's not let's not hunt down people for communism yeah um, 
but like and that's just because of my own knowledge of history and things um and not necessarily the movie itself and Correct. so that was kind of just something a little bit off it to me it almost felt like it almost felt like a documentary in ways in in which uh, the documentary is just telling you um the objective facts or like not not even objective facts but like the objective perspective of the filmmaker mm-hmm. and, and i and i don't think that this is a bad movie or like i'm not like two stars like <laughs> yeah. i'm like a i'm like a three star kind of yeah person with this one um but it just there just wasn't a lot there just wasn't a lot pulling me into everything it was kind of just like it, as you were saying it's preaching it and it's and after a while after like 20 minutes i was like yeah, okay i i, I got it <laughs> What else you got over here? What else can you give what me? What else are you going to tell me here, George? <laughs> um, I I think that for the, to, to go off one of your points as well, the fact that it feels almost documentary-like um, is not something that I was able to really put into words until you said it, but actually that's something that's a positive for me just because it is a narrative and it is something that it does have that little bit of that that coldness of like a documentary presenting facts and that doesn't always necessarily work but I think when you're trying to tie it together with this idea that like the hateful rhetoric and uh, to use a modern word fake news or false stories that McCarthy is yeah alternate facts yeah absolutely that McCarthy is doing um to try to put something forward as straightforward as possible I think it for me is something that would really is really helpful in telling this story because I've then just got I've got one side manipulating things and I've got another trying to not do that while I can also see that the film does clearly have a point of view as to which side of that is right and which side is wrong Mm -hmm. um the other point of yours that I wanted to jump in on and kind of like yes and and this is maybe something that kind of takes it down a little bit for me is um the characters outside of like four of them they're pretty much all the same um and they all wear the exact same thing so you can't tell who is who (laughs) yeah no yeah um the only two not like so basically David Cesarin as Edward R. Murrow and George Clooney as his like producer are like the two kind of lead figures of the film but then out of the supporting characters in the newsroom the only two that really set themselves apart are the characters played by Ray Wise who hosts the show after um, or a show on a different day and then Robert Downey Jr. And I know Robert Downey Jr. is what was that? I, I think my new bit is that whenever Robert Downey Jr. is in a film before Zodiac, I'm going to say it's the comeback of Robert. It's Downey. the comeback. I didn't, I don't remember him in this movie. Like I, when he showed up, I was like, oh dang, he's in this. Yeah, um, I, I, I turned away for a moment and I heard his voice and I was like, what? <laughs> thing happened with Clooney. <laughs> I can, I definitely recognized his voice as well. No. Uh, the Robert Downey Jr. character in particular is 
a part of the movie that I don't understand why it's here. Oh, I agree. I was also like, I was going to ask what if you could explain his purpose. Nope. I was going to see if you had some ideas and thoughts there. Maybe because um, they needed another lady. And so he had we had to put him in there so he could have a wife. So he could have the relationship with Patricia Clarkson. I don't. Because so the whole arc of their of their story is we meet them. They're both very good at their jobs. And then we find out that they're in a committed, loving relationship, which they remain in through the course of the movie. And then when the head of the studio, played by Frank Langella, finds out, Robert Downey Jr. quits so Patricia Clarkson can keep her job. The end. And I guess, like, cool, fine, great. Like, I, I, I just, I don't understand why that's a, a, C plot in this story like what is it adding what is it what I yeah I just don't know yep 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 yeah I mean uh, I feel and- like in some ways it might be trying to comment on the the overall state of the studio but if that's what it's trying to do it's failing at that pretty hardcore maybe <laughs> Maybe it's like in an essay where you're arguing for something, you're supposed to like, uh, you're supposed to do a, re- you're supposed to um, do a counterclaim and refute it. And so maybe the counterclaim is like the studio is like this angelic source of good, but then they have this weird rule that married people can't work there or <laughs> married people to each other can't work there. Right. And so like that's, that is uh, Clooney adding that right at the end because his teacher says you need to include this piece for an argumentative essay. Is that not what the head of the studio is doing when basically at the end of the movie, spoilers, also spoilers for history, she gets fired? Like, Gosh, like spoilers for history. I don't think a lot of people know, like, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people necessarily know this person. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, in the way, like, you should know who Edward R. Morrow is. I'm just saying that, like, this is something that happened, and if you looked it up and read a little bit, you'd, you'd read this. <sighs> anyway, what I was saying is, I think that he makes that point better. I agree with you that that's maybe what he's trying to do, but he makes that point better when Morrow loses his job at the end of the movie. Yes. I also, th- I, I mean, like, yeah, I think that that seems also there to show, like, <laughs> a counter argument would be more like, oh, maybe, like, it's showing him to be, like, um, I don't want to say a Jesus character, because that's not right, but, like, some, like, the sacrificial lamb who does all right. the good and then is punished for the good that he's done to this world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, like, which, like, I don't know if that's what Clooney's doing because this is what really happened. However, like, that was what immediately popped into my mind of, like, oh, no no good deed goes unpunished. Well, that's, I think, exactly the parallel he's trying to do because he goes straight from the scene where he's like, well, we're going to have four more episodes to I won an award for the work that I did. Like, that's exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah. Um. The other character to talk, that I wanted to talk about real fast was um, the Ray Wise character, 
who is um, the other kind of news reporter that we get to know. And he is a character who um, is in the film to kind of show the potential consequences to the actions that are happening. And because the action, the, the main characters that we face are not, they don't necessarily suffer a lot of the consequences from it. They put, they have this other character in here. And as far as I know, it's a real, it's part of the real story. I, I have not done too much research. I would hope they would not make that up and put that in the movie. Um, but I, I do, I find that that is a element of the story that I like the performance that Ray Wise gives a lot. Um, and I, it, what? Good actor. Yes, absolutely. Most of these people um, are good actors. I think it's almost like George Clooney might not know how to direct actors. So he just really banks on like having a good cast. Just hires his friends that he's like, you're the best actor I know. Get over here. Am I being too harsh on Clooney? I've only seen two of his films, but I'm getting this vibe. No, no. Would you like me to read you the rest of his no, filmography? I've seen three of them because I've seen, it's not Disturbia. Suburbia. Suburbicon. <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> okay, well, you've got Star to head. sit through no The Monuments head. Men. I haven't uh, seen that one yet. Leatherheads. Leatherheads. Um, you know, George Clooney makes a silly football movie with John Krasinski. Sports ball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Ides of March. Oh, that's a rough film. That's a rough movie. That's another, like, political thriller yeah mm -hmm. and then uh the midnight sky which is on netflix that came out like last year yeah yeah absolutely and then i don't know if you want to count catch 22 because i think it's a series I but he like had to binge it <laughs> <laughs> he is one of the directors and on the creative team that made it no, I think I'll be okay if I skip that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, Clooney has a lot that he wants to try to say, maybe not the best at executing it. You know, it's fine. He doesn't seem like a bad person. Just not. No, he doesn't. Not a good yeah. director. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. Like, Clooney, bud, like love adore dearie you're actually you do so much good like humanitarian work like on board with all the things um maybe just be an actor and producer like your writing skills are okay um too like just maybe hire directors just hire a director just hire one is leatherheads based on a true story i believe so He's yeah so many based on a true stories and then at the end he's like oh the coen brothers wrote this so maybe i should just direct it yeah absolutely and who wrote the midnight sky how did he do a sci-fi i don't think he knows how to well i haven't seen this one so true writer mark l smith the same guy who wrote overlord the revenant and the revenant huh and then some other like bad looking films. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Well, maybe maybe we'll come back with an update on the Midnight Sky. I loved Overlord. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Favorite 
one of my favorite performances from Wyatt Russell, my favorite actor of all time, apparently. Well, then does Falcon and the Winter Soldier have some scenes for you? Hey, here, I have a comment. Yes. That. And it's not a comment. I have not seen Falcon and the Winter. I haven't seen that show. However, I did see that people were sending death threats to him. And I'm just like, folks. Stop, stop. folks. Everyone. Everyone. (laughs) He's an actor playing a part. And you know what? He's very good in that part. It's a very flawed part. It starts out saying some things and then they just bungle whatever they were going to try to say. Um, But he's very good in it. You can dislike a character, but you probably shouldn't say things to the actor. Like another thing that happened this summer, very close and personal to my life, is um, Laura Bailey, who is the sweetest human of all times, if not a little mischievous, uh she got a bunch of death threats like and like people were threatening her child because of her like video game character from the last of us part two and it's like folks calm down they're actors they're doing a work they're doing jobs like please don't judge the people who are in a project by the character they play don't even like judge the writers for it like the right it's it's the writer's choice to do this and you can dislike that or like you can judge the writers for that but that doesn't mean like to threaten violence against them it's just no No, i'm i don't i don't advocate threatening for violence for anything even something like um uh, it should like step in it a little bit as well even someone like Gina Carano, who was let go of her role from the Mandarin because of things she was saying and doing, and I don't agree with any of the things she was saying or doing, does not deserve death threats for things that she was saying. Like, I mean, just nobody deserves, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty nonviolent person, and I just agree, think that there are other healthier ways than threatening someone's life online to deal with issues. The better way is to threaten their D&D character. Thank you. Yes. Something they actually have very clear thoughts about and emotions. <laughs> six times, Kylie. My character has been one roll away from death six times. Yeah, I can't tell if you want your character to die or not. <laughs> there was a moment where I wanted him to die because I was like, ah, nobody likes him. I don't like him. What am I doing? And I've come around, like, I think since the Gulliver turn where like hit like I think that has been really good for my character and I'm in a much healthier spot with him now um than he was before so I we Kylie we have done some good character work on Garrick and I no longer would like him to die okay well I'll keep saving you then (laughs) If your character dies, like spells to bring him back don't work unless I bring back you as a human. (laughs) Oh no, then I can't fly anywhere. So that's just things to think about. Things to think about, yep. All right. So any final thoughts on good night and good luck? I, I don't think so. I think that my personal love of the movie, because like, I agree with you on the whole that it's probably not as high as star rating as I give it. I like David Sosterin as a performer. I like this performance in, in particular. I also think um, that 
for yeah. you because you like Hollywood and stuff. Like there's yeah. like a draw to like the Red Scare. And this isn't necessarily, this is, I think that the child they're looking at is like with a serviceman and not it like with an actual actor. However, I think that because of the pull, like the connection between Hollywood and the Red Scare, I think that that's something that interests Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of like things that are just kind of catnip for me that really just bring this movie up. But I agree with you that like, it's probably, it's, it's, it's the best George Clooney movie, but that's, that's faint, faint praise. Um, so next we got Nebraska. Nebraska. We're going to Nebraska, everybody. I really uh, wonder if there was like Red Rock, if we'd ever get there. <laughs> Well, we'll have to see if we get to Lincoln, Nebraska. I did not know what this movie was about. Here's what I knew. Okay. I knew you liked it. Uh-huh. I knew it was in black and white. I knew it was kind of like the comeback or re- like not even a comeback, like a bit of like a career revival for Bruce Dern. Yes. Um, and he, he's been in a few things that I've seen since this. Um, and I knew... Forte was in it and that he wasn't funny. Well, I mean, he wasn't like cracking jokes all the time. Yeah. 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 Um, that's all. I also knew it was like an Oscar darling, but I don't think it won a lot. I don't think it won any anything, but yeah. Um, yes, all, all things true. Nebraska is a 2013 film directed by Alexander Payne, starring, as Kelly said, Bruce Stern, Will Forte, June Squibb, and Bob Odenkirk, and Stacey Keach are the casting of characters. And it is about a father and son who end up going on a trip from their home in Billings, Montana, to Lincoln, Nebraska. And they do it because the father who is um i i think it's unclear in the movie on how much dementia the father has versus is just a person who as the film says believes things people believes things people tell him it's unclear but the father believes that he has won one of those like publisher clearinghouse sweepstakes and needs to go to lincoln to get his million dollars so they set off on this road trip and they end up spending most of their time in a town called Hawthorne, Nebraska, where they end up learning about the family, where the son ends up learning about the family history and about his father. It's pretty much the plot and or things that happen in the movie. That is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I know your overall thoughts other than I think you had a rough watch with it. Oh yeah. I mean, like we're, we're like, <laughs> we're literally like dealing with the exact same scenario with a, with members of my family, like mm-hmm. the exact same thing. And so like, as I was watching it, I was like, whoo, whoo. <laughs> um, however, <laughs> like, I mean, like, I can't like be like, it's a bad film because like real life happens. Um, right. I it, it was just like it was just kind of like one of those like <laughs> kind of moments um yeah. overall I thought it was I thought it was good um and it's probably like not to give any spoilers it's probably my second favorite of these collection of films that we did watch mm-hmm. um for this I do think that 
Um, I do think that there, it, this is probably the, surprisingly, it's the lightest of all of the films yes. um, that we watched. Um, and there is quite a, there are quite a few good moments within it and like moments of levity. Um, but overall, I, I do still, I do still think that there, this film has a bit like of a, like a tragic turn to it at times. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, Alexander Payne is a director who is really (laughs) feel bad about the the, he makes you feel bad about the existence like the the responsibility of living (laughs) yes yeah um you don't feel good after you watch this film I mean like I don't like I watch sideways and like afterwards I just kind of feel like (sighs) yeah yeah, he is very interested in the struggle of the Midwestern white male. Um, that is that is that is what he's interested in, and that is what most of his films are about. Um, and this one is no different than that in that sense. Um, but I I think Nebraska for me so Nebraska is I will say the only one of Payne's films that no wait hang on sorry he has election as well it's one of only two films of his that uh, when I rewatch it I didn't like it less I liked it more um because all of the rest of the descendants yeah, like the descendants, downsizing, about Schmidt, sideways, like upon rewatch of those, I've just like, ugh, I, they don't sit well. And I don't think that like they're they're really all that wonderfully told of stories. But Nebraska and Election, I do think work on on some nice levels. Um so I think that Nebraska, Nebraska and um, Good Night and Good Luck, I think are films that have some similar um, things that work for me. And a lot of those are with the cast and with the writing of the films. Um, I think that the script is really well done. Um, To give credit where credit is due to who wrote this script, which is Bob Nelson. Nelson Yeah, Bob Nelson. he has this sense of what I think small town conservative American male conversations and, and, and female conversations, I would say, at least in this film, um, are like. Um, I, I sent a text to Kylie when I was watching this. I was like, this is what it's like when I visit my family. It's just like in the role of like the kind of the Will Forte of like the person who feels and seems a little bit like like an outsider or feels and seems a little bit different than the rest of my family like to just watch them be kind of sitting there and barely saying anything to each other and their conversations are it's just like pulling teeth to really get anything out of 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 anybody in the family um I do think that that there's real naturalistic and real film to this without it feeling overbearing and overwhelming uh, to, to the point that Kylie mentioned there. This is probably the lightest of the four films we watched this month. Um, and that's only because 
the the writing and the actors and the, and the team putting this together understand that like there is levity in life no matter the situation like I think that a lot of times humans will try to find some form of levity in their situation yes <laughs> I agree <laughs> um it's also just narratively the easiest one to connect yeah. the characters with um just because there are like the circum the circumstances of everything are much more applicable especially to our lives and our current like situations um and mm -hmm. i think that that makes it a lot easier um and i it, it's just it's a very it doesn't drag um, you have a very clear goal of the characters. You actually understand everyone. I feel like I understand the, the main four family, their objectives with everything. Mm -hmm. um, and even when at times they don't always seem like, like, a like at the beginning, like I didn't really like the mom, but then as you know, you get to know her more, you kind of, you get to it you get to see that they're actually full well-rounded people um even like bob odenkirk's character at the beginning is kind of just like oh he's gonna be this character but then by the end you're kind of like oh <laughs> he's yeah. not as much of that character <laughs> yeah. uh, and so uh even with like bruce jern's character who is probably one of the quieter uh, he he's like the like main like main character or like supporting character depending on who you view as the main character mm -hmm. like he's just it's just such a quiet performance however you get you get so much knowledge just based on like the way that he looks around at things and the way he interacts with people mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um in a lot of ways that pu push and pull of who is the main character or who is the like who's the main support supporting i think is a really is kind of part of the internal internal struggle of the film um with it being that like the film is about telling your family's story in a lot of way and when you want to hear that and why it's important for not only the the older generation to pass it to the younger generation but for the younger generation to eventually be curious and want to learn about their history and their past and I don't think that the film necessarily says that like you need to do it but I do think that the film talks a lot about why your family's story is helpful in knowing who you are and what you can be though it's not the only thing there um the only thing that 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 matters i think that it's an important piece of a person oh 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 and then with that um that i think ties into why i actually think that the black and white choice for nebraska works really well um because the the idea that the story that we're telling is essentially set in contemporary to the film, which I think is 20, 2012, 2013-ish, um, it, but it is told in black and white. And I think that it is done in that way for two reasons. One, to help connect 
the person watching the movie to an older time. It is, we are going to this town of Hawthorne, Nebraska, and we're going to talk about and reminisce about the past, which in a lot of times when we do that as a society, we see that in black and white. We see that. And so it's almost literally helping our minds and our imaginations be like, you're watching this story that's set in current day that is about the past, about people's story. And then secondly, about like helping really, I think that by putting this film in black and white, it really helps bring some vividness or I don't know what the right word is there, to the characters. Um, they're, they're allowed to have more life, especially the people that live in Hawthorne, Nebraska, because you're seeing them through the eyes and through the light that uh, that the Bruce Dern era of characters would see them in. Um, and I, I just think that, that the, the, the coloring of the film really helps with that as well. Only if you don't watch it on cable. There's a colorized version of this movie? Uh-huh, that's what they show on cable. I had no idea. I think that that's a poor choice. Don't watch this movie on cable. <laughs> um, I think that, that this is a movie that as I was watching, I was like, I understand why this is in black and white. Like, I actually think that the cinematography is genuinely shot for black and white. Like, this movie makes sense to be that way. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if it's still being shown in black and white, but when it came out, yeah. Man. <laughs> I, I, I mean... Black and white is interesting because I don't think that, I mean, I know that there's a certain section of people that they'll just see a black and white movie and they'll, they'll just like turn it off. They can't handle it. It's not what they want. And like, no shame, no shade. If you don't want to engage with it, you don't have to engage with it. But I do think that like by instantly saying like, oh, the movie's not in color, it's not for me. I, I think really limits some of the experiences that you can have and the stories you can hear and tell. And that's not just in classic film. I do think there are a lot of good artists working in black and white in contemporary filmmaking as well. Yeah. <laughs> when I, so like when I was staying with my parents, we were watching some game show and they like pulled a hundred millennials. Like how many how many millennials have finished a black and white movie and my parents were like oh it's gotta be 20s and I was like I was like you think people my age like have never been forced to watch a black and white movie before whether it be in school or like you make us watch it's a wonderful life yeah it was it was like 88 had seen a black and white movie all the way through yeah I would be interested to see that question into how many millennials um, have sought out a black and white movie. I think that would be a, an interesting question as well, because I don't think that number would be small, but I don't think it would be as high as the other question. It would just be one. It would be me. Just you. <laughs> what about, what about me? What about me? Am I, do I also not, I, I don't count. I don't think you've, I think you just, the movies find you. Oh, okay. That, that works great. Um, 
we also didn't i mentioned that i was going to talk about or i wanted to ask the question of like why each of these films was in black and white and we didn't talk about that super with good night and good luck um and i think again that is it is that film is in black and white because it is playing with the medium that you would have seen these reports in and i think it helps to make the actual footage of joseph mccarthy that they use feel more integrated into the project like it just sets a time and a place and a period Mm -hmm. Yeah, when the when the McCarthy stuff happened, I was like, whoa! I was like, whoa! Is that actually McCarthy? <laughs> it was. It was. I, I was like, that's a really good, that's a really good like prosthetic that they put on this hat. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, I don't like. I try to. I don't have a lot bad to say about Nebraska or anything that takes it away from it. I don't ever think it really reaches like super high heights. I think it always just kind of cruises along and I'm not totally sure if I can articulate why, because I, I, I would only have positive things to say about all of it, but it never quite like hits the highest of high emotional arcs for me. Um, and I, that might just be because for me personally, on very personally, like, there is a lot of people in this movie that remind me of my family members. And I'm like, I do not need to spend that much time with them. But um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if it's because of Bruce Dern's character being so quiet if that's one of the reasons why it doesn't hit as high of emotional things because there is one scene where you find out why he wants the million dollars and like that's probably the most emotional scene that they have in the movie however it doesn't like it's just it's like like it pulls on your heartstrings but it never rips them out like it, it and I, th- <laughs> I think that the part of the relationship between the father and son is never fully, I never, it never feels fully like all the way examined. Like it mm-hmm. kind of feels, it, like it feels mostly surface level and it digs in a little bit, but I, I think that, I think that had we examined their relationship a lot more and had we just seen a lot more of them just together um I think that there would be more of an emotional arc but I just think that the I I think that that film is lacking in that sense which in which I agree with and I think that you could say not that this setting the best argument in the world but I think you could say that that is how these specific characters would deal with this situation but then I think the counter that would be like then maybe these specific characters um are like this is all that we're ever going to get from it which is fine um but yeah i don't know if that sentence made sense but there's what it was um the best you can hope from them yeah it's the best you can hope from them yeah absolutely the also the end of the movie where um we do finally see the son played by will forte um giving in to some of the like un some of the needs of the father a little bit more than he has been and he finally gives him what he really genuinely wants um and i think listens to his dad for the first time in a long time um is a pretty moving moment as well um 
it always like I always feel there is I'm going along with it and I'm feeling it and then there's this moment where um they're finally in spoilers for the end of Nebraska you can skip ahead a little bit if you don't want to know the end of Nebraska um but there's this moment where they finally get the truck and they're driving through um downtown um Hawthorne and it's like this really sweet moment between the two of them and then he tells his son get down so they can't see you and it feels totally in the moment and totally good for the character but then I'm also like well what that's a jerk move like just your son did this for you can't just give him this moment with you Mm. Like it's moments like that where I'm like, it's very appropriate and it feels right and natural for the character, but it takes me out of the emotional context of it. Well, Josh, it's just how it is. Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't want to share a moment with your son. You want to gloat in front of Ed Pegram. Who wouldn't? I mean, really, who wouldn't? All right. Um, any final thoughts on the film Nebraska? Good film. Yeah, solid movie. Solid indeed. I like Will Forte um, in, in the non-comedic role. I think he's got his like comedic chops working because there's some very dry humor in here. But to watch him dig in a little bit to a dramatic role is always kind of been one of my favorite things about this movie. Not enough Bob Odenkirk. Not enough. I don't think we understood who Bob Odenkirk was going to become. <laughs> we didn't have Saul yet, okay. Or maybe we did have Saul, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard, it's real hard to say. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's the end of this episode. All right, friends, that's the end of part one. Uh, If you want to join us for part two of Contemporary Black and White Films, we'll be talking about uh, Cold War and Embrace of the Serpent, and we'll have more thoughts to share on those. If you want to follow us, you can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or however you download your podcasts on Apple. We are there. Friends, have a wonderful day. Quack, 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 quack.